0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: Bill Belichick, the hoodie. Bill Belichick meets with the media this morning in New England. And finally, finally after months of silence, he ends all the confusion about why Malcolm Butler did not play in the Super Bowl. I mean, finally, finally. And damn, I got to tell you, I was surprised. Surprised because... This discussion was illuminating as hell. Like, I've never seen this side of the hood. I've never seen this guy show up and own anything at all, much less something like this. I mean, are you kidding me about this, dude? I'm not going to build up the answer anymore. Let's just go to the tape. I
2: know you're all about this year, and we all understand that. <coughs> this year. That's right. And um, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask about it. Last year. Yeah, Yeah. last
0: year is last year. I'm not focused on last year.
2: What about the fact that everywhere we go, folks want to ask about Malcolm Butler? I mean, sports coaches, players, university. You're a sports fan. We have talked
0: about that. That's multiple months ago.
2: Is there going to be any more explanation about why he didn't play?
0: Focused on training camp.
2: Would you do it any differently?
0: Training camp? Well, we're we're getting started. we are working on that right now. We'll do it the best we can.
2: And does it matter to you, do you care that the fans want to know more about
0: this? I'm focused on doing the best that I can for the 2018 New England Patriots. That's my job. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I've always done in the past. Every day that I've coached here, I've done the best that I could for this football team, and I'll continue to do that. And right now my focus is on the 2018 season. Not 2017, not 2014, not 2007, not 2004, not 2001, not 2000. not focused on any of those seasons. They're done. And for this season, for this season's team, is it important for you to address the Malcolm Butler thing with your team? It's important for me to have a good season in 2018. I'm going to do everything I can to do that, do the best that I can for our football team. That's my job and that's my responsibility. That's what I'm going to try to do. Hopefully you can respect that, but maybe not.
1: So of course, of course he didn't say Jack about why he benched Malcolm Butler because he was never going to say Jack about why he benched Malcolm Butler. That mess of dodges is still the most honest and open you're ever going to hear from him about Butler. Oh, and all of that was brought to you by one Daniel Shaughnessy. Boston legend, JRIB legend, just plain legend. Dan Shaughnessy if you need him. I'm talking about two masters, two titans, who have honed their skills and their techniques. One hitting a question from every single angle, the other ducking, dodging, and slipping every single punch. You saw where Dan started that premise with, Belichick is completely focused on this year. But then he tried to appeal to Belichick's fandom and connection with the fans to answer the question. Then he dealt with Bill pretending to be obtuse about training camp. And then he dealt with William just rattling off different years for no apparent reason other than to spin, clock, and stall. But Dan stayed in the fight. He goes judo on Belichick, trying to use his strength against him. For this season's team, Bill, isn't it important to address Malcolm Butler? But of course, Belichick was not having any of that. And then Belichick ended the exchange, as you heard, with a quote, hopefully you can respect that, but maybe not. What stands out in that exchange is not what's said, it's what's not said. Well, two things aren't said. He doesn't give an answer still about Butler, but you already knew that was the case. Because there was no way he was going to talk about that. And nobody should be shocked by that. It's not new. It's not funny. It just is. The same way Nick Saban manufactures reasons to be bitter with the press, Belichick does that act all the time. Now, there is one difference. One thing that's a little bit different. At least he was willing to listen to the questions and didn't just keep repeating, we're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. Some other dumb phrase. Yeah. Is listening to the questions and then ducking them in a creative way some sort of sign that maybe he's admitting that he was wrong? Maybe. Then again, giving this guy credit for listening to the questions is a pretty low bar to set. In fact, giving points for listening to the questions at a press conference before responding to them is such a low bar, it's buried in the ground. Here's what I'm saying. Thanks, Alvin. Here's what I'm saying. Answer the freaking question. The hood needs to answer that question. It's the right thing to do. It's the decent thing to do. It's the professional thing to do. But this dude's not doing it. That shtick is so tired, so played, It's not cool, it's not funny, it's not wacky that he doesn't answer these questions. In fact, to the extent that anything in a press conference about a football game is cowardly, that's cowardly. You're not being asked about strategy for an upcoming game. You're being asked to answer the one question that you have dodged for five and a half months. The one thing that may have in fact cost you the Super Bowl. And believe me, we're not the only ones who want to know. Every guy in your own locker room wants to know. So answer the question. If you made a mistake, own up to it. If you believe that you didn't make a mistake, stand by it. You're 66 years old. Act like it. Be accountable. The Patriot mantra is, do your job. Yeah, well, part of your job is to answer questions. So do your job. You want your players to be accountable? Maybe you should be accountable, Hood. You're not going to be fired. You're not going to lose any fans. If anything, you might even gain a few by being candid and honest. So why wouldn't this guy answer the question? (laughs) Why wouldn't anybody do anything because they don't have to? Because he's Bill Belichick. He's not going to do it. Not the Belichick thing to do. Look, this guy's only going to do what he has to do. And when you're a five-time Super Bowl winner, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, which includes answering any question, but especially a question by admitting that you screwed up because he did. He did. Nick Foles threw for 373 yards against the Patriots, and for some reason, New England did not have one of their most important defensive players on the field. They were down by double digits at halftime and didn't try to shake it up by putting the player who had played the most defensive snaps that season on the field. There is a really good question as to why that is. But if there was a good answer, we probably would have gotten it by now or it would have leaked out. But instead, it's just conjecture and hearsay about what happened. Trust me, this guy would rather give you a social security number and bank account detail than give you an honest answer on that. And you're just going to have to get used to it because that's not going to change. But it should. Answer the freaking question, Hood. Answer the question, and then maybe people will stop asking. Not
0: 2017, not 2014, not 2007, not 2004, not 2001, not 2000. Not-
1: Jason Lockenfora is my guest. GLC, what's going on? How are you?
3: I'm well. I'm not
1: worthy of that introduction, but I'll take it, Jim. i oh, Dude, it. how's your summer going?
3: It's good. It's over, but it was good. It was good. Got to the O's game last night with my kids, and I'm off to Philadelphia uh, in the morning, and uh, we'll start bopping around the country seeing football. I was lucky to have them living here in Baltimore. The Ravens opened last week, so I was able to get a bunch of their practices last week and now it's time to hit the road so no I, I can't complain all good here yourself
1: good really good really really good GLC. listen one quick follow on the O's since they're currently 29 and 73 they've got a very good look at somehow getting to 75 losses before, before they get to 30, the 30 wins right yes yeah. so what's the summer been like for you as an O's fan
3: just waiting for these trades, man. You know, I tried to mentally brace my kids, especially my 11-year-old son, that this was coming. We've been talking about it for for a year. But watching the All-Star game with him when, you know, when Manny leaves the field in that game and, you know, all the reports are out there, like, to see that look on his face, like, he knew I'm never going to see this guy in an Orioles uniform again. He didn't even want to watch the rest of the game. He just went up to bed, and, you know what I mean? He's like, I'm good. I'm just going to go to I'm. Shut it down, and Zach Britton. I mean, of, of of this era of Orioles. I mean, no one has been just a better guy, better human being than him. And and it was inevitable. They had to do these things. I'm glad they've done these things, but uh, it, it definitely, the, the, especially my little guys. Like it, you know, it's 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 a bit of a. Of a, of a new era for them where they really see the
1: business of sports firsthand. I, mean, I don't even know how you explain that right. I remember when I was 11, I know you do too, man. You take that stuff hard. That sucks. That's yeah. a tough thing to get your kids through. It is college application season in my house, which means it is stamps.com season in my house. Stamps.com never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7. You can also print postage for any mail class right from your own computer. And you have the exact amount of postage every single time. You never underpay and you never overpay. And my favorite thing about Stamps.com is it saves you time and money, which you can put back into your business. You can grow your business that way. I can mail any letter, any package by using just my computer and printer, and then the mailman will come and pick it up. I love it. So what you need to do is create your own Stamps.com account. You can do so in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Click, print, mail, and you are done. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Once again... I have used Stamps.com for a long time because it is so fast, it is so easy, it is so convenient, and it does save me money. Right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. All you have to do is go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. Once again, I love this service. I know you will, too. Go to Stamps.com and enter Jungle. I want to get your reaction to Todd Gurley's extension with the Rams. Jason, what did you make of that? And then what do you think Le'Veon Bell's reaction was to it?
3: Well, I would just say let's all just take a breather here and look at the actual language of the contract. I mean, the initial reports of these things... Um, invariably come from the agents, and the agents will conflate, inflate, invent, or, mm, you know, uh, boast. And then you see what it actually is when you read the fine print, and a lot of times it's not that. There is broad skepticism around the league, including the front offices of of, of Le'Veon Bell and, and of David Johnson, that he got forty five million fully guaranteed at signing. Now maybe he did. I don't I don't know. And once it's entered in the NFL PA system and once it's entered in the NFL management council system and you see the whole contract, you know, then we'll see how much of a of a bar raiser it is. Certainly look, him just you know, getting fifteen a year, which is with you know, Levion Belka got forty five for three. So him getting that after three years and not having to play out a fifth year option in a franchise tag, that alone is a win for him and a win for those creme de la creme running backs. But Is it the 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 guaranteed money game changer? We're going to find out in the next 48 hours. Once you know, once everybody gets a look at the actual contract itself. But good for him. I mean, that's that's. If I'm Todd Gurley, I'm I'm doing cartwheels whether it is 45 million fully guaranteed or not. He doesn't have to mess with those other um, you know the tag and the fifth year option hanging over his head. And if I'm Aaron Donald, I'm, I'm waiting for my press conference because there's, there's no way. I mean, you live out there, Jim. There's no way these guys with, with LeBron being out there now and everything going on and Manny being out there now and the star culture that it is, there's no way that Kevin Demoff and those guys running the Rams give this money to Cooks and Gurley if they don't have another blank check. From Stan Kroenke in their back pocket to take care of the best player on their football team.
1: No chance, no chance. Everybody else there is getting paid. They've done all the other deals. They got to take care of that guy. We know this, no doubt. Jason Lockenford joining us. All right. So Josh Gordon announced earlier this week that he would not be with the Browns at the start of training camp, and there seems to be some mystery surrounding that situation. What do you know about that?
3: Well, it's it's obviously highly unusual. And you, you talk to anybody close to him, you know, they'll tell you that this is. This has been, he, he's, he's got a lot of medical professionals in his life. You know, he's got, um, you know, doctors who have helped him through his rehab and recovery. And that at this point, he's being advised to stay away. He, there's rumblings around the league that some of that has to do maybe with them being on hard knocks and all those camera crews being everywhere and that being an unusual seen by any stretch and especially with the Browns coming off a winless season and that there's rumblings maybe that has something to do with it or maybe he's just not ready to be back into that locker room full throttle right now whatever it is um you know let's check back in a couple weeks I think I think we'll know more then how how long are the Browns going to kind of stand by this (laughs) at what point do they cut bait and it's shocking to a lot of people around the league that he's still on their roster I mean it it really is, just given how many regimes this dates back and all the baggage and all the, the issues. And at some point, there's a way where you can stand behind the individual and the human being and support his recovery and his mental health with your actual resources and with your, you know, your love and support. But he, he can't be among the 53 guys that you're counting on week in, week out because how, you know the track record is what it is. And at some point, you would think a fresh start would be important for him and maybe even necessary. But right now, you know, the league is basically saying nothing to see here. The Browns are saying we're cool with this, nothing to see here. And, you know, his messaging is I just need a little more time. Um, But – a lot, again, most organizations, if not all, I think would have moved on long ago.
1: Jason Lockenford joining us. All right, before you go, you and I spoke after the draft. You were all over the Ravens drafting Lamar Jackson yeah. and what that meant for the team in the long term. So I'm curious, what's the vibe been like at the facility with him under center, and how is Joe Flacco handling all of this?
3: I think Joe's handled it um, exceptionally well. Uh, Joe look. Joe has a lot of self-confidence, and Joe hasn't been good for several years now, but he also hasn't been healthy for several years now, and he hasn't had anything around him for several years now. And he, he sort of bristles a little bit at the notion that this lit a fire under him, but there's no doubt that he looks better than he has in a while. Maybe he would have done that just because he's healthy and able to work out more and all that this year, and and maybe not. But I think he, he shows, he defers to the kid and the kid's athleticism and what the kid could be um I think with a plum but he also gets his messaging out there that hey this is still my team and they haven't pried it out of my hands yet and they are paying me you know 20 plus million dollars to throw footballs for him this year and I have won a Super Bowl and I you know I don't think the best you've seen the best of me yet we'll see I think they'll be better Jim but th- there also is no debate that Lamar Jackson I mean I was out there for a couple practices last week I was out there in the spring for OTAs he's the best athlete on that football team. And given the state of that offense the last five years, there's no way they're keeping him off the field entirely. He's going to be on the field with Flacco. He's going to be on the field a little bit without Flacco at times, too. And we'll have to see what that means come the end of the year and if this team's competitive and if he does get a start or two. But I don't see Joe Flacco back here in 2019. I don't see him making another $26 million and counting 25 plus million against their cap moving forward and, and you know Lamar from week one on Lamar Jackson very well could be the first rookie quarterback who throws a pass this year because I'm not sure I wouldn't bank on any of the other ones absolutely starting week one and I would bank on him at least seeing the field in some capacity week one
1: well I have to think so Jason Locken for my guest one last thought as long as we're talking quarterbacks Jimmy Garoppolo has been getting a ton of hype in the off season. he still has not played half a season as a starter yeah. how do you think he shows up in 2018 and does he live up to the immense hype
3: I don't know. I mean, some people think that could be a potential, you know, deep into the playoffs. You know, I don't know if anybody's saying Super Bowl or not. I haven't read all the predictions that are starting to come out. But certainly there's a hype train there that doesn't just stop, you know, at the regular season in December. Do I think they're ready to do all that? I I don't know, but I also wouldn't bet against the cast around him, starting with Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan's going to put a lot of people on that football field in the best position to succeed from an offensive standpoint week in, week out. I thought they started making strides on defense last year, and they've added a lot of top picks over there. If those guys can stay out of trouble, big if in some instances. But, um, you know, they could be ready to take a jump. And, and I, I do think Garoppolo's the real deal. I don't think they had any choice but to pay him what they paid him. And the fact that he he's got that marriage now a year he, they got him in there early last year they got a lot of the learning out of the way they didn't play him too soon and Kyle knows exactly what he has there I I, I would be I'd be a little worried if I'm facing them you know it's gonna be fun watching them against that Rams defense I I truly think um, you know Kyle Shanahan's gonna have that offense humming.
1: Jason for NFL insider for CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. Remember, he's also the host of the Be More Opinionated podcast and the first-ever guest on the CBS Sports Network, Jungle Simulcast. JLC, great to have you back. Really looking forward to seeing you in person in New York. Have a great—well, your summer's over, bro. Yeah. So have a great life.
3: Yes. thanks. <laughs> Me and the rental car, my new best friend. I'll, got I'll, it. I'll
1: be talking to you, brother. Never mind that we're 45 apps in now. Some of you still have not checked out my side hustle, the Jim Rohn Podcast that's fine. Your loss, but it's fine. It's free. It's premium content. It's a different show altogether. Did I mention it's free, but your loss, it's fine. And because I know some of you have not found the pod yet, I try to bring a little bit of sound from every week's episode to share with you right here. It's called cross-promotion. little synergy, cross-promotion. And you'd have to agree, I'm pretty freaking good at cross-promoting. So today I would normally run back some of the best clips from my conversation with Daniel Carcillo, which dropped yesterday. And by the way, that was an amazing episode. Heavy, but amazing. And I'll play some of that later on in the week. But if you don't want to wait on that, just hit up your podcast apps for the entire episode as soon as this show is over. You'll be glad you did. However... Today is all about the voicemail segment of the podcast, because the voicemail segment of the podcast turned into a smack-off post-game show, and I'm all about that. Listen, I may not agree with everything, or really anything for that matter, that any of you say on the voicemail, on the podcast, but it doesn't mean that I do not appreciate reaction to the biggest event of the year. And the synergy between the smack-off and the podcast does pump me up. And because I know how important the smack-off is in the jungle, then what choice do I really have but to run back the voicemails right here, where I know everybody can hear them. Yes, I would love for you to go find these on your own through the podcast, but since I know some of you won't, some of you never will, I'm here to play some of it, not all of it, but some of it right here, right now. So, from episode 45 of the Jim Rohn podcast, which dropped yesterday, here are some of your smack-off voicemails. Next message. Pimp,
4: FBA Mike. Hey, man, the smack-off was great this year, and um, I was wondering if you could pass along the following message to uh, Mr. Jeff Casson.
5: Ha, 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 Nice call,
4: <laughs> Really, what the hell was that? Now Jay Samper thinks you're full of <laughs> Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Romeo, it's Caleb. I just want to say how cool I thought it was that Left got Mike Franzese in his smack-off call. But I don't know if you know this. This actually happened. Last week, Franzese tweeted that his followers should listen to the smack-off for, quote, a few extra surprises winking face emoji, and one of his followers asked if somebody got to him, and his response was two winking face emojis. Hey, Les, if you need to keep a secret, maybe don't tell the guy who is like the Frank Sinatra of canaries. This dude has no problem snitching on the mafia at the possible expense of his own life. What the hell chance do you have? You'd have a better shot at keeping a secret if you told WikiLeaks. And Jeff Passon, dude, I haven't seen a sophomore slump like that since Quasimodo was in high school. It's amazing that your phone quality was actually better than your joke quality. My social, political, and religious beliefs are one thing, but you out and out called me a racist for the simple fact that I'm a Brewers fan and then connected the dots to Charlottesville. Bro, don't pull a vertebra out of alignment with that reach. Since you don't exactly seem to be plugged into current events, why don't you ask Pedro Gomez to ask Tim Kirkton to ask Jason Stark to ask Buster Olney if the Brewers are getting any middle infield help at the deadline, you galactic kook, late. Message saved. Next message. Rome, it's Wells. Chael Sonnen is a dude <laughs> Second year in a row, the guy makes the sorriest call out of anybody. I don't think we'd lose sleep if you ripped his lifetime invite. The guy's a fraud. Message deleted. Next message.
6: Hey, would City City here. Hey, Chael, Jeff and Richmond hanging up the phone before we actually got a call on Friday it was more entertaining than your entire
1: call, you stupid idiot
4: message deleted
1: Wow galactic kook (laughs) so obviously two guys are taking a lot of heat for how they showed up on Friday that'll happen it is the biggest stage with the biggest stakes the best get praised and shined up for eternity the not-so-best get killed until somebody else shows up even worse next year which will happen because it always does But it's a long year for those guys who did not bring it on game day. Again, let me be very clear about this. The opinions expressed in the podcast voicemails do not necessarily represent mine. My opinion comes in the form of where I place and rank everybody on that Friday. But damn, there was some fire on that tape this week. And fire that I know you'd want to hear, considering the subject matter is the biggest subject matter in the jungle. That was not all of it either. That was only a chunk of it. There is more where that came from. If you want to hear that or you want to hear more like that, hit F45. And you can see where we bleep things out for this show. We don't bleep it out on that show. It's raw. It's real. And if you can't believe the stuff that I play, you, can't, you would not believe the stuff that doesn't make it to air. There is actually more voicemails on the Smack Off in this week's episode of the podcast, but you're going to have to go find them on iTunes, or the Android players, or JimRome.com, if you want to hear what's left. Remember when I said that I was really good at cross-promoting? That right there is a great bit of cross-promotion. Dennis Dodd is my guest. Dennis, so good to have you back. How are you?
6: Jim, I am great. Great job on the smack-off. It was uh, one of the best.
1: My oh, man, I got to ask you about that. I know you're at Pac-12 Media Days right now, but you were you were tweeting during the smack off. So, what do you make of what you heard that day, Dennis? I
6: like I like the BIC, but I thought the production value with left would, would put him over the top. But that look, that's one man man's opinion. I'm not in the am not in the jury box. They're entertaining, nonetheless.
1: Now, you're not the only one who feels that way either, and I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you tweeting too. Dennis Dodd joining us. All right, so the Pac-12, the Pac-12 did not have the best bowl season last year. In fact, it was pretty rough. So, what's the mood around Media Days when it comes to the national perception of the conference?
6: Pretty laid back, just like the conference. I mean, it's, it's you know out of sight, out of mind, really, for the Pac-12. In regards to the rest of the country, they were you just mentioned it one and eight in bowl games, an all time worst for a Power Five school. And, Jim, in this day and age, you are who you have in the playoffs. That's it's simply it. And the Pac-12 didn't have anyone last year. They've only made it two out of the four years. They've both been Washington. Um, I think Clay Helton's done a heck of a job at USC winning the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 in back-to-back years. But there's a faction there of fans that don't think he's done enough. So they just need to win games. I, I, I think that you can't understate – the importance of Washington and Auburn and Atlanta on opening day. I think Washington has to win that game for the Huskies' sake and for the Pac-12's sake. They're not going to play a tougher game all year, and it's going to make it real easy for that committee not to put them in the top four if they lose to Auburn um, come December, especially if they get worked a little bit.
1: Dennis Dodd joining us. Hey, look, there's no doubt that They know. The conference knows where it has to do. But the question is, why is it not happening? As an example, you've got some of the best coaches in the nation in that conference. We're talking Chris Peterson, David Shaw, Kyle Whittingham, Clay Helton, as you point out. And then you've got Chip Kelly and Kevin Sumlin coming in. So how do you explain the conference's struggles on the national stage?
6: You just made a great point. They've got some of the best collection of coaches in the country uh, but, but, again, I'll use USC as an example. You know, it was hard to make a case for them last year when they got blown out by Notre Dame. Fine season, but at the end of the year, everybody in that conference lost at least three games. Washington went out, you know, with a bad taste in their mouth. they losing to Penn State in the bowl game. They had a lot of injuries. Chip Kelly's just getting started at UCLA. He doesn't have the infrastructure or the foundation that he had at Oregon. I think he will get it going but I don't think that UCLA is going to be a factor right now. So it's just, it's a lot of little things. I've, I've said this on shows before, and people ask me about this, and I don't agree with this, but, you know, I travel around the country, and there are people in the SEC that don't even fans I'm talking about, that don't even consider the Pac-12 a factor. Uh, they think they play a different brand of football than everybody else in the country. and That's not fair, and that's not right, but that does go to the, to the league just needing to promote itself more. Jim, I'm at the media day, and the best player isn't here. Uh, Bryce Love from Stanford is is in class. You know, Stanford walking the walk. But somehow I think that if Tim Tebow had class summer school at Florida, he'd still be at SEC media day.
1: Of course, Florida's not Stanford, though, right, Dennis? No, it's not. <laughs> Dennis Dodd joining us. You mentioned Chip Kelly, and he's going to be on next hour. You and I first talked about his, your expectations for his first season, and then you reiterated them right there. Dennis, how different is college football right now from when Kelly first took over at Oregon?
6: Well, I think that's the whole story on Chip Kelly, and I love Chip. He was a revolutionary in 2009. In those four seasons, he was was at Oregon going 43-7, and seven. But he created Frankenstein. Everybody, not everybody, but a large amount of coaches now run his stuff. Coaches have recruited bigger, stronger, faster defensive backs to combat the type of stuff he ran. Um, you know, can he be that revolutionary again? I don't know. I, again, I think he'll win. I don't know if he can chase national championships like he did at Oregon just because it's, you know, its everybody runs the blur offense. Scott Floss is running the blur at. uh, At Nebraska, with physicality in both lines, that's essentially what Chip did at Oregon. So it's going to take some time, I think.
1: Dennis Dodd, my guest. I'm glad you brought up Scott Frost. Now, Scott Frost said that he firmly does believe that his former boss, Chip Kelly, is going to be successful because he's just too smart not to be. But when you talk about Frost, there is so much buzz, Dennis, right now with Scott Frost and Nebraska. How do you think he'll do in his first season back in Lincoln?
6: I think in their in its first season, I look privately, they're going to tell you, you know, a bowl game would be great. I, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. They, they're breaking in a freshman quarterback, this Adrian, Adrian Martinez, who's really, really going to be good. I'm a big Scott Sauce fan, but I think in terms of this transition, I think six and six would be a great finish for Nebraska this year. But as Scott said, what this week or last week at the Big Ten, you better get it early because we're going to take off and, and leave people in our dust. And I, I, I believe that. I, for the first time since Frank Stolich got fired after winning 70, 77% of his games in 2003, Nebraska finally has a the direction. They know where they're going. Everything's aligned. we got a national championship quarterback who went there guiding the program and knowing how he has to recruit. So I'm, I am huge on Scott Frost.
1: You could not sell me enough stock on Scott Frost. I'd buy every (laughs) bit I could get. I love the guy. Love the guy. Dennis Dodd, my guest. Now, Nick Saban was asked whether he expected Jalen Hurts to be on the roster at the start of the season. His response was, quote, I have no idea. But then he added, I expect him to be there. What do you make of that answer? What does that mean?
6: Well, I actually asked that question in the main room last week. I think in the short run, he kind of confirmed – you know, that Jalen Hurts was going to be there, and Sports Center reported it last night, or Nick said it on Sports Center, that Jalen Hurts is going to be with Alabama this year. You know, beyond that, I think he gets his degree in December and then moves on to another program of two years of eligibility. But Alabama, with those two quarterbacks, probably has the best set of quarterback depth in the country. You've got two guys with rings. Uh, one guy with a 26-2 and two record as a starter, and Tua might be better if everybody expects him to start. But if Jalen Hurts leaves, they're in a heap of trouble because then you're a knee injury away from having to play Mac Jones, a redshirt freshman, for the number one team in the country. So they go from a very dicey position to being even stronger.
1: Now Tua missed most of spring practice with a hand injury. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, could you see a scenario where if... If Jalen does not leave, that Sabin plays both of them regularly, or is that essentially to his job unless he loses it?
6: No, I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think it matters who starts against Louisville because I think he's going to play both guys because he's done it before. Unless but clearly takes the job in August, which I don't expect because what you mentioned about to his hand his non-throwing hand. I think it'll be very even. He's going to give a very fair shot to, uh, to Jalen Hurts. I think he might go two or three games doing that in the non-conference uh, before he decides on a guy because he's done it before. I, I remember, and I think it was a, al- it was twelve, eleven or twelve early on with AJ McCarron. Alabama went to Penn State, and it was like game three of the season, and AJ McCarron was sharing time, and they won twenty-seven to ten, and he came out and he was the starter. Same scenario, two guys battling it out. He waited into the season. This is the best possible outcome for everyone because again, Jalen Hurts. Gets to play another year. The redshirt rule is huge. He can play four games and not lose any of his eligibility and still have two years left.
1: Mm. Dennis Dodd, talking all things college football, joins us for a few more moments. Dennis, I got to ask you about Larry Fedora because at that ACC media event, UNC head coach Larry Fedora was saying that football is under attack and essentially that if this changes, that the whole country may fall apart. What do you make of that argument?
6: Yeah, that was that was a bad look. I, I thought. You know, we can have a, a discussion about CTE and its effect on on the brain and head trauma, which he started to get into. But when he said football's under attack, I have a hard time with that. When you have when you have millionaire coaches and millionaire coordinators, and you have this is a, I wouldn't say a common practice, but it's absolutely allowed in college sports. A head coach can dictate the hiring and firing of the medical and training personnel. Well, that's not right, because that gets into a return-to-play issues and a conflict of interest for coaches. A lot of new coaches that came in and just wiped out the medical and training staff because they didn't like it. They wanted their guys in there. So that's not student-athlete welfare. And I think it's the exact opposite. You have a kid at Maryland that died yesterday. I think it was yesterday, a kid at Maine died. Jim, I don't know any other sport where players now routinely collapse or die practicing, not playing. In t-shirts and shorts, they're just going down. There is something fundamentally wrong with the sport. I don't think it's under attack. I think it needs to reform itself.
1: Dennis, I don't want to be redundant and repeat what you just said, but if you're a football coach and you see multiple student athletes dying in off-season workouts or the long-term health issues that some players face, how is your response that we need to protect football instead of we need to protect the players?
6: Yeah, it's short-sighted. And look, I think there's a lot of – Coaches out there who agree with everything we're saying and pointing out, I just, I, I I think there's an actual, there's like a a mindset or a lobby out there that's trying to spread the word that, football is a a molder of character and it's under attack and it's never been better. Well, you know what? You know what? Builds character too. Raising a family of four, working eighty hours a week, Um, you know, being good to your wife and your children—that builds character too. Too. We don't need football in our society to build men of character, necessarily. So I, I think that's, re- again, short-sighted.
1: We're talking to Dennis Dodd. Dennis, one more thought. What do you make of Kirby Smart and Georgia in the sense that how do you think they'll respond to last year's season and coming as close as they did to winning a national title?
6: Yeah, I did a story on that last week, and they've they'd done as much as they could in sweeping it under the rug, but look, I, here's my take on that. I, I, ju- I think Georgia's just getting started. I think they're going to be very, very good, and we're going to have Nick and Kirby battles for years. But just like Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma losing that semifinal to Georgia, there's no guarantee you're going to be back anytime soon. We saw how ragged in the margin is at any of those four teams getting in. So, yeah, it's, you know, you know oh, well, you know, just just lost it, and, you know, we'll be back. There's no guarantee, especially in that, in that conference where it eats their own. Um, we shall see.
1: He's at Pac-12 Media Days right now. He is a national college football writer for CBSSports.com. He also tracked the smack off a very good friend of the program, Dennis Dodd, my guest. Dennis, great to have you back. Thanks so much for doing that, and it's always good to have you on. Jim, thanks so much. let talk some L.A. sports. The battle for L.A. That's a big, big thing in this town. There's always a battle for the hearts and minds of sports fans in L.A. It's a star-driven town. You've got to win, and you've got to win a certain way. Just winning in this town is not enough. You have to win a certain way. We see it in basketball. We see it in the NFL with the Rams and the Chargers. We see it in the college ranks. I mean, it's the entertainment capital of the world. You've got to get it done, and you have to get it done a certain way. So when it comes to the NBA portion, the NBA battle for L.A., apparently that battle is already over. The season has not even started. Guys have not even reported to training camp yet hell lebron has not even had his first presser with the lakers and it's already over and the very obvious winner is the clippers just ask them patrick beverly told tmz earlier this month that the clippers are not the team to beat in la not just the team to beat in la they're that Pat Beverly says they're the team to beat in the NBA.
5: Who do you think is the super team this year? You know, you got the Warriors, and now the Lakers are all stacked up.
0: Clippers first. Clippers first? And who's who's second? Clippers when we're healthy, and then second it has to be Golden State because they are the champions. Yeah. yeah. You think it's, they're going to go do a three-peat this year? No, 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 no. If the Clippers are healthy, we're fine. We're really good. <laughs> yeah, you got me, Avery Bradley. Yeah. Best two defenders in the league. Okay. I, you mean, think, uh, they're gonna get Kawhi? I mean, I mean, six men of the year. Lou yeah. Will. We got a lot of, like, we're going to be all right, man.
5: Yeah, was it was it hard for you guys to get rid of, like, Austin Rivers and DeAndre Jordan? Hell
0: yeah. Yeah? You know, of course. Was, especially DeAndre. He's paved the way for LA. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, like, he's the ultimate clipper. Yeah, yeah. And Austin, too, cause, especially because he put in work. But Used to be Love City, huh? Yeah. But we got the team we have, and we're excited. You know, yeah. like, we got two of the best defensive players, uh, you know, in the NBA. Yes. In history. Like, to ever play, that's, like, two Gary Paytons yeah. playing with each other, you know? So.
1: Pat Beverly, man, his stock is going up with me. I love that. That's so good. That is so good because a lot of those TMZ interviews are with guys who are waiting for their cars, who could not be less interested in being there, and the interview itself could not be more boring. This one could not have been any better. Pat's out there just breaking down the entire roster, building everybody up, talking about Tobias Harris, sixth man of the year, Lou Will. The group is so good that Pat... Wasn't really that excited about even having to make a run at Kawhi Leonard. And I can't say that I blame him. Why would you need another elite defender when you've got the combo of Pat and Avery Bradley in the backcourt, which is, quote, like two Gary Paytons playing with each other. Two Gary Paytons
0: yeah. playing with each other. You
1: know? so. Two Gary Paytons playing with each other. I mean, there's only been one glove in the history of the game. But now they've got two in the same backcourt. <laughs> Hell yes. Hell. It's awesome. I can't wait to see it. One glove was great, but two gloves in the same backcourt at the same time. Legendary. I'm all about it. And while I'm not, like, adult-wearing jersey dude, I'm not that guy, I'm this close to getting a Beverly and a Bradley jersey. Hell, I may even go Brady Quinn's sister with it and do some sort of Beverly-Bradley combo jersey. And if you think that I'm clowning Pat, you could not be any more wrong about that. This is an enormous Pat Beverly house. I love this guy's attitude. I love it on the floor. I love it off the floor. This cat gives nothing away. He will fight you for everything. So while you're wondering if the Lakers are the best team in, the, in L.A., Pat Beverly is telling you the Clippers are the best team in the NBA. And he's not alone. TMZ continued its run of tracking down Clippers and they caught up with Lou Williams. Lou Williams also has a message about the Lakers.
0: Between the Clippers and the Lakers, yeah. which of those teams are the team to beat in Los Angeles? Record-wise, the Clippers are still the team to beat. Because Patrick Beverly said that y'all are better than the Warriors. I just need to hear from you. So you say the Clippers are the team to beat in LA.
5: Record-wise, I mean, the Lakers ain't beat us since I've been on the Clippers. Yeah. So yeah, we are a better team in L.A. Until they prove different. Yeah. I agree with that. I yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. So another Clipper is not conceding anything. And I love that too. Almost as much as I love this guy pointing out the fact that the Lakers have not beaten the Clippers since, quote, I've been on the Clippers. Again, hell yes. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, you brought in LeBron James. You brought in LeBron James and you're all fired up. Yeah, that's nice. Hey, just know this. I run this town. Until LeBron proves otherwise. Goat, whatever. Prove it in this town. Lou's like, prove it in my town. And the best thing about Pat and Lou is that they aren't just saying it to say it. They aren't just saying it because they feel like they've got to pick their own teams. They aren't just saying it because it's a thing to say. Man, they're saying it Because they think it. They're saying it because they actually believe it. They feel it deep in their bones that the Clippers are the better team. And that the Lakers are going to have to rip that from them. I know this. I cannot wait for that first Clippers-Lakers game in this town. Think about all the icons that are going to be on the floor. Think about that matchup. LeBron. Rondo. Lance. JaVale. Patrick Beverly. Sweet Lou Will. Boban, the list goes on. (laughs) That's going to be amazing. The Clippers have got this massive chip on their shoulder. This is how that team is built. That's how they roll. You think Pat isn't going to have something for Rondo or Lance? You think Lou isn't going to try to go for 50 with LeBron on the floor? You think Avery Bradley isn't going to get in some guys' grills? I'm going to set the over-under on technicals in that game at 5.5, and I'm taking the over. The NBA schedule has not been released. I'm already circling possible dates for that game and building my family's schedule around that schedule. That's how pumped Pat and Lou have me. And in the words of a couple of other Clipper legends, turn up, love you guys, awesome. Turn up, love you guys, awesome. Do not sleep on these dudes. Don't sleep on the Clippers. Don't assume anything just because LeBron's in town. The clips are bitter, and I mean that in the best way possible. And that chip on their shoulder is getting bigger and bigger by the hour. And they believe it, and they mean it. I can't wait for those two worlds to collide. Good times. Can't wait. We are joined by Bruins head coach, Chip Kelly. Chip, it is great to have you on. How are you? Rummy, what's up? How are you? Chip, it's been a minute since you and I have spoken. i got to ask Chip. Been. My man. Chip, how is life? How does it feel to be the head coach at UCLA?
2: It's awesome. Great place to live. Unbelievable school, so we're excited to be here. Good.
1: All right, so you're about five weeks away from the season opener against Cincinnati. What kind of thoughts do you have about that? For instance, are you fired up, and do you want to get right to it, or does it feel like it's incredibly close, and you'd like to have a little more time?
2: No, I think the big thing for us is we just want to get started with practice. So, you know, with the rules in college football, we had spring practice. The last time we were on the field with our players was April 21st. We're also an extremely young team, so we'll have a bunch of new faces, that we haven't had the opportunity to be on the field with yet. Um, so we're just excited about starting practice next Friday.
1: UCLA head coach Chip Kelly joining us. You know, Chip, on that topic of practice, you've always been known for your practices and the pace and the tempo, but that's something that can take players a little time to get used to. How was the spring in that regard? Was it the tempo that you'd like, or is it still something you're building towards?
2: Um, it's still a work in progress. You know, we're just trying to be efficient with our time on the field and get as much as we can out of uh, – um, a training session, you know, to, to maximize while we're, when we're on the field and, and what we can get accomplished. So um, our numbers were down a little bit in the spring um, because we didn't have the, the full squad with us. You know, obviously with graduations and guys going on to the NFL. So I think it'll be it'll look a little bit differently and be a little bit more efficient now that we've had this this group of young guys coming in and we and we get a bunch of them. So um, it, it'll really help from a numbers
1: standpoint. UCLA head coach Chip Kelly, my guest. No, Chip, you go back to November you essentially had your choice of every head coaching job that was available. So what was it about UCLA that made you feel like that was the right spot for you?
2: I just, you know, really enjoyed my visit with Chancellor Block and Dan Guerrero and what their values and visions for the university was. And um, I'd always admired the school, you know, when I was at Oregon. You know, I, I think uh, everybody in the world knows, you know, it's the most applied to school in the world, you know, so there's there's got to be that popular. So, uh, you know, just wanted to be a part of it and, Um, see if we can get this football thing going.
1: Hey, Chip, it is that. I've got a a junior in high school right now, and we're looking at colleges. UCLA is the most applied-to school in the world right now. It's a very tough school to get into. Chip Kelly, my guest. You know, Chip, you had a great thing going at Oregon, but one of the things that you talked about is, quote, people say, well, you stay in this position because it's comfortable for you, but being comfortable really is not a lot of fun, to be honest with you, quote, unquote. It seems almost counterintuitive, right, to say that being comfortable isn't fun. Can you break that down for me? What do you mean by that?
2: I don't think you're growing, you know, if if you're if you're just always comfortable and doing the same things all the time. So I think part of you getting better on a daily basis is is getting out of your comfort zone, you know. So I made a big leap last year when I actually got into the media side and saw what you guys do. So that was definitely out of my comfort zone, but it it was fun and it was a great experience and. Now I'm looking forward to a new experience.
1: I was going to say, Chip, what was that like? The year away from coaching, like, what was it like to be away from it from a, for a year? And then, what was it like being in the media? I thought you did a really nice job. What was it like to be in the media?
2: Um, I enjoyed it, and I, I think, like anything that I've learned, it's about the people that you're around. So I had an opportunity to work with some unbelievable people. Um, it was, it was a lot more work than I think the everyday person on the street. Knows, as you know, in the profession, you know, you probably spend about 80 hours of prep for 80 seconds of talking and, um, you know, you always want to be prepared. And so, um, you know, I admire, I've got a little better understanding and admire um, the people in your profession.
1: Spending some time with Chip Kelly, head coach at UCLA. I mean, Chip, being an analyst is a nice gig, and as I mentioned, you were very good at it. A lot of coaches say when you do that, you never lose a game, but at the same time, when you're an analyst, you never win a game either. Did you miss the pressure and the buzz that comes along from coaching? And then how excited are you to be back in that grind?
2: Yeah, and that's the fun part. You know, I, I agree with you when they say, uh, you know, you never lose a game, but you also never win a game. Um, and there's nothing like that feeling when, you know, a group of people can all come together, Put a plan together, um, and, and, uh, go out and execute it and, and, and see the fruits of your labor, you know, express itself on the field of play and, and to do that, um, that's the great thing about football because it, there's so many people that are involved in, um, in the game. You know, it's not a singular sport. It's not where one person is dominant. It takes everything. It takes offense, defense, special teams. The coaches, the trainers, the doctors, the strength coaches, everybody, you know, all pulling in the same direction. And then when you do have an opportunity to uh, to share in that feeling after game, there's, there's
1: nothing like it. UCLA coach Chip Kelly joins me for a couple of more moments. You know, Chip, when you look around the college football landscape, I wonder how different is the game now than even when you first took over as a college head coach?
2: I said this before, but when I... When I when I took over as a head coach, there were only a couple spread teams and one team that had shiny helmets. And now it seems like everybody's a spread team and everybody's got shiny helmets. So it, it's changed um, and it's good. It's fun. I think people people enjoy that that style of football and um, and it, it's uh, it's interesting. It's always cool to see kind of what's next.
1: Chip, I got to ask you about Scott Frost. He was one of your former assistants and he had such a great run at UCF. He's now in Nebraska. Yeah. What did you see in him back in the day that made you feel like he had potential as a coach?
2: He's just really smart and then he's got great interpersonal skills so I met him actually recruiting. He was recruiting for Northern Iowa when I was an assistant at Oregon and I think I ran into him in high school and we just were talking and kind of hit it off and then when I got an opportunity um, at Oregon to become a head coach he was obviously somebody that I always had kept in the back of my mind that I'd like to you know, try to see if I can work with him someday. So uh, What he did at Florida and what he will do in Nebraska may be surprising to other people, but it's not surprising to me. I knew he was going to be a rock star in this profession.
1: And then, Chip, finally, Bruins fans can't get enough, so let me ask you this. When you look at what you're doing right now and the progress you've made since you got there, does this feel like something that can turn around in a hurry, or is it going to take a little bit of time to get things rolling the way you'd like?
2: I don't, you know, we don't put any time limits or limitations on anything. Um, I think sometimes you just let it develop organically, you know, and, and for us, it's when's the next chance we get a chance to get on the field with them, and then then that next Friday. So let's not think about or worry about things that um, I'm not into the prediction for of anything. It's just how do we get better, you know, and and really uh, baby steps on a daily basis. So we look at it very micro instead of macro.
1: Well, I know you're anxious to get back on the field next Friday. He's the head football coach at UCLA. He was named head coach in November. And UCLA does open up against Cincinnati on September 1st. Chip, it is great to have you back in the jungle. Nice to have you in town. Nice to have you back in the jungle. And I hope you and I can talk again soon.
5: All right, Romy. Good talking to you.
1: In Southfield. It's good to have you, Jeff. How are you?
5: Thank you for the vine, Jim. Hey, Mike and Indy, in your smack-off call, you dubbed yourself the undisputed silverback of the jungle. Who you kid and fool? We all know the accurate color of your back is extra pale pasty white. Your back is whiter than Jeff Van Gundy's ghost. And your neck is redder than Caleb's face when his parents bust into his room and catch him getting excited about Boston chicken. Let's face it, Mike, the closest your back's ever been to silver is when you and Shale wrestle on top of that silver platter you bought each other as your wedding gift. And that's not a gay crack clone, and I'll explain why. Remember... Rachel, Rachel, shaved you back. It turns out Rachel didn't shave her back. She shaved off the first two letters of her name and became Chill the MMA Fighter. Sorry, Mike, that bromance you thought you were having is really just an ugly chick. But that's a step up from your usual pigs and sheep. I knew you could do it, kid. Jim, I think this year's Smack Off proved that it's not a question of gimmicks versus no gimmicks, but rather it's the quality of your gimmicks. Now, normally, I regard banana hammocks as easier than a five-gallon bucket of melted Velveeta. And normally, I regard USA! USA! It's belonging in some poorly written Reagan-era Sylvester Stallone film. But given that our country has been besieged by a maple syrup-colored dawn ever since those Canadians parachuted off their horses and landed on our soil, I thought Brad's use of those gimmicks was perfectly timed. And I can see why he won the hardware. As for Left, his writers were strong this year, but their closing gimmick was weak. Lara Brown? Really? My response to Larry Brown is basically Ozzie Pfft, please. Larry Brown lost all respect when he went from coaching the NBA World Champions to coaching the Oral Roberts University intramural squad, or is it the Southern Methodist Clown College, or is it reffing games at the YMCA, or wherever the hell he's working these days. You know who I'm not gonna crack at, Jim? Henry Winkler. Your defense of the Fonz, when Oren called the other week, hit me like a Fonzie elbow hitting a jukebox. An epiphany started playing in my head. Jim, Fonzie is the first clone ever. He was a clone before you were even born. Think about it, clones. The character Fonzie on Happy Days was an adult male, aged somewhere between 30 and 45, not married, no kids, and living in the spare bedroom of a suburban family's home. Now that's a clone if ever there was one, Jim. I wonder if Fonz's full name was Arthur Caleb Fonzarelli. Jim, while my respect for the Fonz as a clone has skyrocketed, my respect for the notion of the TV character Fonzie as a ladies' man has plummeted. No wonder he never got a second date with Pinky Tuscadero. Turns out his hopes of scoring with her got Malachi crunched between two realities. He doesn't have, one, he doesn't have enough money to take her anywhere better than Arnold's, and two, the bed he wanted to take her to is in the spare bedroom of Mr. and Mrs. Cunningham's house. You know, that elbow in the jukebox trick is a lot less cool when the song that drops, is Bet So Un door. But that's what you get when you hang with Ralph and Patsy. Bum, boom, bam bum, boom, boom, bum, bam bum, bam. In the time of happy days, lunch with the monkey. Okay, enough of that. Jim, I don't want to blow the best first call in jungle history by going too long, so I'll leave you now with a quote from Keith Richards. After all is said and done, got to move while it's still fun. Better walk before I get run. Bam, 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 bam.
1: Walk before you get run, dude. There was never any any chance of you getting run. There is your first golden ticket of 2019. I've
5: got a golden
1: ticket. What the hell just happened? I've got my golden ticket. Good night, now.